Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away, not spare the space, the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him. What if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. This is the word of God. Good morning. If you have uh, been with us for the past few weeks, uh, we've been going through the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and it essentially means origins, beginnings. So it's an origin of the world, the human race, and even sin. And as we navigate through the book of Genesis, uh, we are introduced to uh, some important people uh, that we see all throughout Scripture. And one in particular is one known as Abraham. Now, Abraham is a very important person in the Bible, to say the least, Uh, We know of his impact and his influence. He's so influential that uh, he would be known as the uh, father in in the three major monotheistic religions today, Christianity, uh, Judaism, and Islam. And what makes his life so influential uh, for not just a believer, but even for everyone, was that he lived a very big life. 
I guarantee you that even secular life coaches, which is something that we're seeing more often, they would probably even say, look at the life of Abraham. You can probably gain a lot of insight about what he does and how we should live life today. And we often hear in a secular worldview uh, that to live a big life, it does require big risks, and Abraham does so in the same way. But what differentiates Abraham from most people is that he lived not to live the life that he necessarily wanted, but he lived the life that God has called him to. He made risky decisions to leave his social, cultural, and religious context. He would endure famine. He would risk security, that there were threats to his marriage. But at the end of his life, he would be known as the father of all nations. And here in today's text, we see how he would remain faithful accordingly to what God has called him to. And it is what we see how it unfolds in the first recorded prayer in the Bible. Abraham is going to tell us what it means to live accordingly to the call. And in our time today, we're going to see uh, not only about God's promise through prayer, but it's also through prayer we can know more about God's promise. So I do have three points for us this morning as we dive into the prayer of Abraham. First, it is God's invitation. Secondly, it is God's promise. And thirdly, it is about our prayer. Invitation, promise, and prayer. Our first point, God's invitation. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 16 through 33, uh, we see the first recorded prayer in the Bible. And when we look at this prayer at a first glance, it's actually a a little odd, right? Because what we're going to see is Abraham, he's like kind of having this in-between bout with God himself. It's like this haggling of spiritual blessing from God as if as he, he's some used car salesman. And I know that's something we're not necessarily accustomed to for many of us, especially if you kind of grew up in the church. I think many of us at times, we're kind of trained in a certain way of how to pray, right? Very proper, very respectful, right? Hands held together, eyes closed, bowed head. But we don't actually see this in scripture. There's, there's a back and forth. There's almost a haggling from Abraham to get something from God. It's a back-and-forth exchange. Now, before we kind of, you know, like, say what's going on here, I want us just to highlight something very immediately. And I want to highlight is that God invited Abraham to this haggling. God invited Abraham to have this odd prayer exchange with God himself. In other words, God is inviting Abraham simply a conversation. Look at verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. What's happening here in verse 16? God is walking with Abraham, that the creator walks with his creation. Meaning God, he not only came down, but he now wants to journey with him. And for us today, it's simply the reminder that for you and I, God wants to commune with us. You ever offer to walk with somebody? 
there's always a level of in, intentionality when you walk with someone. You know, brothers, you, you, you already know this, right? If, you know, when you like somebody, when you like, um, you know, like a girl in particular, what are you going to do? You're going to say, oh, I, I, you're going to go there? I, I'll walk with you, right? You know how that goes, right? It could be like three miles, but you'd be like, no, it's not that long. And, the, you know, girl's like, three, really? Well, anyway, right, you're willing to walk. There's a level of intentionality when you walk with somebody. There is a level of intentionality when you walk because that's the opportunity to get to know someone. It's the opportunity to uh, provide safety for someone when it's in need. It's the intentionality to enjoy a moment. It's intentional. And here, when we see God wanting to walk with Abraham, there is a level of intentionality that he comes down and he walks with Abraham, meaning he wants to be with Abraham. And what's interesting is that as God walks with Abraham, it's not because of anything that Abraham particularly did, right? It's not about his pedigree that drew God to Abraham and says, oh my gosh, look at your pedigree, let me walk with you. That cannot be the case. Why? Because when we look at the life of Abraham, starting from Genesis 12, it's actually a lot of ups and downs. We also see that as big of a life that Abraham lived, uh, he would often distrust God in famine, he would disobey the calling to stay, and he would sell his wife into prostitution. So Abraham, he really didn't do anything to earn time with God. In other words, it was just freely given. And if I could just pause there for a second, it, it does tell something about who God is and who he is for you and I. Because many of us in this room, you feel like you're walking alone. You're walking in shame because maybe a particular sin that seems so unforgivable. Or maybe that there's a suffering so overwhelming that you feel like it's unredeemable. And it allows you to not want to pray because you feel unworthy. Or maybe you're praying, but you're praying fearfully and you're just simply asking for spiritual get-out-of-jail-free uh, get cards. But, but God, he desires to walk with you through it. He wants to walk with you through every season. He wants to cover you through every single storm. He wants to journey with you, and you are not alone. And what I love about this, as this text unfolds, is as God is inviting Abraham for a walk, just him and Abraham, what he does is something so simple but so beautiful is that he decides to speak. Like in verse 17, then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now, just stopping right there, because uh, when you look at that, what, what's happening? Um, you know, you ever hear uh, someone or maybe yourself, you kind of start a conversation with, I don't know if I should tell you, but this big, horrible news that you don't want to really hear, right? You ever say that before, right? Um, I don't know if I should tell you, but, you know, when the Lord says, Shall I hide from you what I'm about to do, right? When you say that, right, 
there is an underlying truth within that statement. Of course you're going you're gonna to say it. It's just kind of like a softening of the blow. It's kind of like I'm going to prepare you for something just a little bit more heavier, so here I go, right? And that is God telling Abraham. He's speaking to Abraham. And not only is he speaking to Abraham, that speak is coming from a trust with Abraham and a partaking in relationship with Abraham. So he decides to speak. What does he say? Look at verse 20 and 21. It gets deep. It gets a little heavy. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they had done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. So what is happening here? Here, God is telling Abraham not only of what he's going to do, but essentially who he is. And what God is telling Abraham right now is that because he is both merciful and just, I'm letting you know I'm going to go into the city where your family is, and I need to respond to the outcry I want to highlight the word outcry just a little bit because it's actually a very interesting word. In the Hebrew, uh, many commentators, they note this word outcry as a, a specific reference to the oppressed within a city. Uh, and it refers to the cry of the oppressed because of the violence, the corruption, and the oppression that is upon them. And it actually resounds to what we see in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. So there is an outcry. And what I love about this interaction between God and Abraham is God invites Abraham to hear more about God's heart for his people. And on top of that, not only is he uh, inviting Abraham to this conversation, he's essentially going to tell uh, Abraham to intervene on behalf of the city. What's the point? God invites you to a walk. God invites you to have a conversation but God also calls you to partake. He allows you to partake in mission. Mm. So what does Abraham do? He hears and he partakes. Look at verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now I'm going to unpack this part just a little bit. Track with me. Uh, when we see that Abraham remains standing before the Lord, um, it's actually, um, you know, it gets pretty deep. Um, uh, Robert Alter uh, is an expert in ancient Hebrew narrative. And what um, Robert Alter says is that when Abraham is standing before the Lord, um, it's more of a technical term. And essentially it's a legal term. When he says that I'm going to stand before the Lord, it's, it's a term that is referring to um, a, a, a legal terms, and it means to come with a case. So God is essentially inviting Abraham to intervene on behalf of Sodom to be a legal representative. So what does that tell us? It tells us something very unique about Abraham and his prayer. As, he, as Abraham was walking and talking, he is now partaking in calling. A relationship with the Lord essentially shapes our purpose. See, think about Abraham in this situation. 
Abraham in this moment could have had a hidden agenda, right? His family was in that city that God was going to. But when we see this prayer, there was no hidden agenda for Abraham. It was not about his personal wants. It was not necessarily about personal need. But it was in this walking and talking and communing with God, his prayer is now purposeful. There is now an intentionality, if you will, with calling and mission. That Abraham is now a legal representative for God's people. His posture is fully submissive to the will of God's promise rather than personal desire. See, Abraham, he could have just asked, God, I see what's going to happen. There's an outcry. Just give me a couple minutes, maybe a couple days. I'm I'm just going to take out Lot, and I'm going to take out my family. I just need to get them out of here. But in this prayer, what you're going to see is he doesn't say that. He doesn't just say, spare my family. But in light of partaking in God's mission, he says, would you spare this city? See, God invites you and I to pray. But the question becomes, is with what purpose are we praying with? Through Abraham's prayer for the city, it teaches us that prayer is not coming to God with our own agenda. But God, in prayer, he wants us to pray with greater purpose. And that is essentially access to God himself. Now, you guys are probably wondering, oh, does that mean I can't pray for things? No, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. We'll go into that a little bit later. You, you can pray for things, right? There are some things that, you know, there's going to be a need of. But I'm just simply asking, is, is that because of just simply what you want? Or is it knowing that there is a kingdom, a vision, and purpose ahead, and if it's accordingly to that? Because that is what God will honor. This leads us to our second point leads to God's promise. Here, uh, we're seeing Abraham's case uh, for Sodom, and he's now approaching God with acknowledging who he is. Look at verse 25. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? What do we see here? Abraham is acknowledging that God is a judging God, for he is just and mercy to his people, right? So in this in-between exchange between uh, God and Abraham, we see God positioned as the judge. Um, We now see Abraham as uh, the lawyer, if you will. And they're kind of going back and forth now because Abraham was meant to be a representative of of the people. See what's happening. Abraham is appealing. Yes, the guilt of the wicked is transferred to the city. I get it. Sin destroys. And I see a lot of folk in the city that are in sin, and there is a transfusion of sin because of the sin that's constantly circling the city. I get it. There's a lot of mess in here. I get it. There's a lot of brokenness. I understand. It probably should be destroyed. But for Abraham, as he's kind of playing defense, he's saying, but God... Wait a minute, though. Could it be this, that it can be the other way around? That it could be the righteousness of of a few good men 
that would transfuse the righteousness and the godliness of a few, that could transfuse the righteousness and goodness unto the entire city. So look at verse 23. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Right? So I'm kind of thinking, you know, I'm imagining this, you know, you know, Abraham's just like, do you, would you consider 50 for the sake of the entire city? And then God says, Abraham, yep. So Abraham says, oh, hold on, wait a minute, word? For real? That's, that's, that's city embracing Abraham right there. He's like, oh, word? Oh, true? Um, so he, he continues, right? That's what we see. He continues, and he says, all right, well, all right, God, um, what about 40? And God says, yeah. So Abraham's like, oh, where? All right, let me, I'm going to keep going then. He's haggling. Well, he's, he's, he's trying to see what's going on with God, right? So what do we see? He goes, 30, yes. 20, absolutely. What about 10? Abraham, yes. If I can find 10, I will save the city. But here's the interesting thing about this. It stops at 10. Many uh, commentators say something very special and very, 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 very profound about as it stops at 10. Because, you know, what should have happened, right, after the 10 is, well, what about one? But for whatever reason, Abraham was like, all right, 10, hmm, I'm going to go home. That's literally what the text says, I'm going to go home, right? There's a missing part to that, right? It should have been, God, would you say for one? Could there be only one? But many scholars say that it kind of stops right there. And they kind of say that maybe, just maybe, it was the realization that, yes, there could have been one. But he realized that there was no one. Abraham did learn this truth that the righteousness of someone can save an unrighteous people. That's what God was promising Abraham in this, in this, this back-and-forth conversation between God and Abraham. Yes, if there is one, I will spare a city. But for Abraham, it was the moment he realized there was no one. How do we know this? If you look at chapter 18, Sodom will be destroyed. Meaning, there was no one that was righteous within the city that could save the city. In fact, in chapter 18, you're going to see God look at Lot and say, you definitely can't save the city, so I'm going to get you out of it. No one's righteousness was enough. Abraham's prayer was not enough. Lot couldn't save the city. Abraham couldn't save the city because there was no one that was righteous under the eyes of the Lord within the city. Yes, Abraham learned this truth that the righteousness of someone can save the unrighteousness of others. 
but it will not be found in Lot, nor will it be found in Abraham. And what we do see, what we come to the realization of God's promise is not unfolding in what we see in this passage, but God's promise unfolding thousands of years later. Because centuries later, you and I will have someone much greater, and he would stand before God. And he doesn't just know the case, but this one would essentially execute it. See, as great as Abraham was, as big as his life really was, it wasn't enough. Abraham, yes, he did risk his life for the people he was praying for, but Jesus Christ, a great high priest, gave up his life for the people he was praying for. Jesus Christ, the truer and greater Abraham. Abraham prayed while walking with God. Jesus prayed while he was being pushed away from God on the cross. Abraham discovered that the righteousness of God could save his people. Jesus Christ was the righteousness that saved God's people. And when you believe in Jesus Christ and that his righteousness has been infused into you to overcome all of the unrighteousness and the sin that is within you, that should give you a real understanding of who God is, that he would spare you and I from the very wrath of God that we deserved. And that because Jesus Christ, the, the great high priest, the greater Abraham, the one that lived and died for you, stands on your behalf. He is the one. He is the only one. And because of that one, he says, you're saved. I will cover you. I will protect you from yourself and the wrath that you deserve. Jesus Christ is our perfect righteousness, for on the cross his blood was shed. What does that mean for us? This promise, it reminds us that Jesus' righteousness was more than enough. And what that means for us right now, in the moment, is to know that no matter how much wrong that you do, no matter how much wrong that goes on in your life, Jesus' righteousness reminds us that you are not alone in the wrong. I don't care how wrong things are within even you. And you should probably acknowledge those things. It's called repentance. But know that, even in that, that God is covering you. Maybe there's a lot of wrong that's surrounding your life. We, we call that season. We call that suffering. We call that winter. It gets a little cold. But know that you are not alone. See, when Jesus says, that he is a great high priest, when he says he is the righteous one, it reminds us that you and I are not alone. 
And no matter how messed up we may look, no matter how messed up we may feel, no matter how many spiritual blemishes we have, no matter how much spiritual filth that we feel like is consuming us, um, what he does, because of the blood of Christ, he opens the door, he, he opens up the gates, and he invites us to him. And that is a promise in Jesus' name. He invites us. Well, with that said, how, how does this all play out practically? And it kind of tells us about how to live today. And I want to focus a little bit about how to pray, our prayer. So what do we see here in this passage? Abraham is praying for the entire city of Sodom despite its wickedness. Once again, right, uh, uh, when we look at Abraham, he could have easily prayed for Lot and just Lot, and he could have easily just prayed for his family. But Abraham was reminded of his calling, right? What do we see? Abraham, he would submit his desires, he would submit his wants, he would submit his needs for the sake of something far greater. He's living with clarity, he's living a big life, he's living with purpose, conviction, and calling. So what we see are, are actually three practical things in Abraham's prayer, and we can actually do, do the same. Uh, three ways to pray, right? Uh, responsively, reflectively, and representatively, right? Response, reflect, represent. First, uh, responsively. When you look at verse 17 again, it's God starting the dialogue, right? It's not us starting the conversation. God is starting the conversation. It is God that is reaching out to Abraham. It is God that approached him. In the same way, it is God that is speaking to you first. He is the one that is opening up opportunity. What does that mean? It means that simply we're always to response. Meaning, uh, prayer is something that we should be responding to. We should be responding to what God is saying first. We should be responding to what God is trying to show us. You know, um, it, it tells us that, that um, this, it tells us that we can pray boldly knowing that he initiated the conversation. It tells us that we can pray confidently because he gave you access to do so. What does that mean? Pray boldly. Pray big. Pray confident. Be confident in your speech. Speak in a way where he wants to hear you. Now, as I mentioned earlier, he may hear you. It may not necessarily always be honored. Um, I love what uh, Tim Keller, he's a well-known pastor, uh, well-known uh, Christian author. He says this, I love this, that God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if he knew everything he knows. Right? So pray responsibly. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. But don't always assume he's going to answer according to what you want, because sometimes what we want isn't what we really want. Secondly, reflectively. Now, in this uh, dialogue, we see Abraham throughout this passage. Abraham is responsive right? He's going back and forth. There's a dialogue going on. There's asking questions. He's seeking answers. But look, at the same time as he's having this conversation between God, he's reflecting on the very character of God, 
right? So what that's doing, yeah, he's, he's, he's responsive, right? He's confident, um, you know, he's assertive, but as he's reflective, he's also humble, right? Because uh, he is responsive to God's call, he's very confident in terms of how he is speaking to the Lord, but as he's reflecting, he's very submissive. Look at verse 27. Then Abraham spoke again, now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, the reflective, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Verse 32, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. Right? You see both. He is both responding and he's both reflective. What does this tell us? In prayer, always start with the character of God. Always start with knowing who God is first in your life. Pray accordingly to what he is saying. Reflect on who he is and that, let the reflection of his character shape how you pray and what to even pray for. Very practically, what we see from the first two is simply read scripture. I think, you know, I'm sold. I'm convinced that, that in your prayer life, to grow in your prayer life, it's actually rooted in your love for scripture. Right? So, so when you get there, when you say, I feel convicted to pray, God's moving me and shaping me, do yourself a favor and just kind of open up a psalm, open up your favorite passage, right? Open up, you know, don't look at some obscure books, you know, because you're probably not, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what I'm going to pray about. But, you know, read some, you know, very practically, right? Read some, some verses, some passages that really mean something to you and just kind of dive into that. And then both respond and then reflect. Thirdly, pray representatively. Consider Abraham. He could have just said, once again, he could have just said, spare Lot, spare my family. But God, in the conversation, called him to something greater. He called him to represent the city. He called uh, God, he called Abraham to pray, to, to, to be a representative. What does that mean for us? Uh, in light of representation, you and I, we're meant to pray with purpose. Uh, we're meant to pray with mission in mind. And my question for you, if you are convicted by the gospel if you believe that it's a declarative truth and it does shape how you live today, how is that practically playing out in light of mission and purpose in terms of moving forward? Who are the people that you need to be praying for? In what ways are you praying for this local church? In what ways are you drawn to the brokenness of the city? And I'm be honest, I think if none of that's there, my pastoral insight says, I think you need to reconsider the faith just a bit. See, God's character and promise should lead you to a renewed character because of his promise. 
God's character and promise. Let it free you from the selfish ways that you're accustomed to of praying and see your life transformed to a more purposeful way because you are now praying accordingly to what God has commanded you to. Matthew 22, to love God and to love others. I'll close with uh, one of my, my favorite theologians, and uh, he, Charles Spurgeon, is this influential preacher in the 19th century. He says this about prayer. The best praying man was the man who was most believing, familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him and saying to him, do as you say. Prayer is the promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. So, beloved, as we head to a new year, would you pray with me? Pray with a promise at hand. Pray knowing that there is a promise of a latter day where there will be no more tears, where there will be no more pain, and there will be no more suffering, not only in your life, but for the city and for the churches within the city until that day where there will be a fullness of joy with a true and greater Abraham, Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer this morning?